From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. The Book of Exodus, Sefer Shmot. Exodus 13.17, the Shalach, Miriam and the women. Sometimes you have a complaint that bothers you so much that you cannot get beyond it. It is just one of those things that holds you down and prevents you from going any further. It seems to be a valid complaint, and no one can give you a satisfactory answer. Then, when that answer finally does come, you go soaring up beyond that level, up and up, until you come to the next thing that grabs you. This week's portion of the Torah touches on one of the most common and long-standing problems for a lot of Jewish women, the mechitza, the curtain that separates men and women during prayer. Why are we hidden behind that fence, they want to know. Really, we feel like second-class citizens relegated to the back of the bus, totally unwanted. For some time now, many women have been complaining about what they see to be a horrible intrusion, the mechitza. In this week's portion of the Torah, we see one of the oldest sources of this separation. We not only see that it is traditional, but we also see that it is voluntary and beneficial to those on both sides of the curtain. Although the curtain frustrates many women who feel that they are being exiled to the other side, in truth, it is also good for them. Their first complaint is, if the family should pray together, then they should stand next to each other. But here in this week's portion, we see that this is not our ancient tradition. After Hashem saved the Jewish people and drowned the pursuing Egyptians, the Jewish people stood by the banks of the sea and sang the song by the sea. Then the women were so taken up with the moment that they too wanted to participate. So Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took her drum in her hand, and all the women went forth after her with drums and dancers. So we clearly see that the women sang and danced by themselves. Why is this separation good for all of us? The reason for separation during prayer has to do with the natural attraction that men and women, especially young men and women, have for each other. The time for prayer is a time to concentrate on the spiritual aspects of life, and this natural physical attraction that men and women have is a strong deterrent to this. When you want to concentrate on the spiritual aspects of life, you certainly do not want distractions pulling your awareness away. This is true for both men and women. Women will not have to worry if they look nice, and men will not have to think about the extreme attraction that pulls on their lower half. So it is good for both of us to distance ourselves from the physical attraction, the animal instinct, when we pray. But surely we do not want this natural male-female attraction to be ignored forever. God wants women to attract husbands. This is one of the most important goals in life. But for these precious minutes, during prayer, it is best for all of us to concentrate on the purely spiritual aspects of life. So we see that the curtain is not there because women are so unwanted, but rather it is there because women are so very wanted. Why does God send such evil? At the end of this week's portion of the Torah, God sends Amalek to attack the Jewish people. 
Amalek is the fierce tribe that represents extreme cruelty and the denial of God. Why did God send this horrible evil to us? Also, we see throughout this portion one of the most frustrating things that ever happens. God showed the Jewish people a great miracle, and a few days later they forgot all about it. He showed them an even greater miracle, and sure enough, a few days later they forgot again. This pattern repeats itself over and over again. What is wrong with us that we keep forgetting? And how is it that this happens so quickly? It is not natural to forget such great things ever, let alone within a few days. In the beginning of the portion, the Jewish people have been freed from Egypt and are being led by God in the wilderness. God went before the Jews by day in a pillar of cloud and by night in a pillar of fire. The cloud protected them from the blazing sun during the days, and the fire gave them light and warmth in the dark, cold nights. Certainly an open, revealed miracle. Next, Pharaoh regretted having let the Jewish people go, and he chased after them, bringing an army with many hundreds of chariots. The children of Israel became extremely frightened. They cried out to God, and even had the brazenness to say to Moshe, Were there no graves in Egypt that you took us out here to die in the wilderness? For it is better for us to serve Egypt than we should die in the wilderness. They had just seen God take them out of Egypt with great wonders. They saw the Egyptians give them their great wealth. They saw the miraculous pillars of cloud and fire as God led them. But as soon as they were tested, they immediately complained, bitterly saying, Oh, we were better off as slaves. How did they, and do we, forget so quickly? Here are some other miracles that happened. The pillar moved from in front of them to behind them to protect them from the Egyptians. Another open, life-saving miracle. The people saw Moshe split the sea, and the entire people walked across the seabed on dry land. They not only saw this miracle, but they actually experienced these tremendous miracles. The Egyptians pursued the children of Israel, and every one of them was miraculously drowned. The Jewish people were standing there and saw this with their own eyes. They then sang a wonderful song of praise and thanksgiving to God for having saved their lives. They traveled on for a few days, but found only bitter water to drink. Instead of asking Moshe what they were to drink, the people complained against them. God performed another miracle, and the bitter water became sweet. They traveled on a short while further, and then they lacked food. Again, instead of simply asking Moshe what they were to eat, they complained bitterly. The first time they complained, it was only a portion of the people who complained. But this time, the entire assembly of the children of Israel complained against Moshe. Not only that, but this time they also include Aaron in their complaints. They said that it would have been better to die in Egypt than to starve in the wilderness. God gave them another wonder, and food miraculously appeared. They traveled on further, and again they needed water. And instead of simply asking Moshe for water, they complained. And this time they did not merely complain, but they argued and contended with Moshe. They had the audacity to say that Moshe had brought them into the wilderness to kill them and their children from thirst. The complaints first came from only the simple people, but then even the leaders joined in. 
First they complained against only Moshe, but then they included Aaron. Then their complaints turned into contentious arguments. We see how arguments grow more severe, but still, even though they acted this way, God was patient and gave them whatever they needed. So why did God finally send Amalek? What made him apparently lose patience? Look at the very line in the Torah that precedes Amalek's coming. It says that the children of Israel were doubting God so much that they were actually asking, Is God among us or not? After experiencing all those miracles, how could they make such a statement? Now we can see why God sent Amalek to the Jews who denied he was there with them. Amalek represents the denial of God. But the real mystery is, how is it that they were able to forget so much so quickly? The answer is that God wants us to have free will. This is an essential, fundamental principle in his creation. If we were able to maintain the awareness of his presence that we experienced during a miracle, even after the miracle ceased, we would become like angels. We would always see God's glorious presence, and this would remove from us the option to sin. We would have no free will. There would be no effort to remember and to strive to choose good over evil if we were always standing in that great revelation. With no effort, there could be no reward. This is not what God wants for mankind, so he lets us forget. But what if there would be no reward? Let him just give us his best as a gift. Isn't the cup that is a gift from the king immensely more precious than the one a beggar could buy? The king's gift would be of gold and embedded with jewels. The beggar, at best, could afford merely a wooden or tin cup. Wouldn't God's gift to us be much more wonderful than the one we could possibly earn? Yes, this is true. It would be greater. This is why God said, Open for me an opening the size of a needle, and I will open for you an opening as wide as the entrance to the temple. If we cooperate, we get both. We get the cup that our effort earns us, and we get the glorious king's cup too. We exert ourselves and are able to open a tiny opening by exercising our free will and choosing good over evil. And then God, in his mercy, showers upon us his lavish gifts that wildly exceed our efforts. There is one.com.